0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts.
1: Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is uh, Technically Speaking Tuesday, and uh, that is, of course, the Uh, note that we have out this morning on our blog post, of course, at realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be talking a little bit about that this morning because this is something that we kind of touched on a bit yesterday and, you know, markets kind of rallied a little bit yesterday. Again, a little bit choppy action yesterday, though. Uh, You know, we started out the day on a fairly strong note, sold off early in the morning and then kind of rallied back and flopped around most of the afternoon. So. Again, you know, it was still positive action for the day, but it wasn't really strong. Uh, this morning, futures are basically about flattish. Uh, S&P's down three and Dow's up about three. So kind of pick your, pick your poison <laughs> at the moment. Um, but, you know, the thing that we talked about yesterday, again, markets are on buy signals here short term. We're not overbought right now. Uh, markets are still kind of in a very nice uptrend. And this is kind of the point that uh, we're making this morning in the article which is if you take a look at this recent action, despite all of the, you know, the banking turmoil. Now, this morning, uh, interesting article out talking about the purchase of the SV- SV- the Silicon Valley Bank SVB assets by First Citizens. Now, this is a very big deal. Uh, the FDIC is putting a t- basically going to take a $20 billion hit to the FDIC fund. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that your cost at your bank is about to go up because how does the FDIC get funded? Well, that's all those fees that you pay at the bank for different services, that funnels into the FDIC insurance pool that basically insures your deposits. So the cost of your banking fees are going to go up as all banks are gonna be hit now with higher fees in order to fill that, that hole of $20 billion. But interestingly, the purchase of the assets still leave about 90 billion dollars of things sitting out there most of these are those assets that the bank was holding that are now well you know uh, again you know we we don't really have mark to market accounting anymore so everything's marked at full face value but those are those assets that are not trading at face value because of higher interest rates so it's a very interesting kind of situation um, and it was one that, that really the FDIC started pushing through fairly quickly as the as according to their own terms the deal was getting stale. Uh, there was not a huge a huge demand of banks showing up wanting to buy those assets. The deal was cut with first citizens and they're now getting I believe a30 billion dollar backstop for any potential more withdrawals that might come out. so again pretty good deal for first citizens going to make them about a $200 billion dollar bank so, uh, First Citizens will very rapidly go into one of the t- the larger banks uh, in terms of regional banks around the country. So uh, again, uh, that stock was up about 55% yesterday. Um, one of the other areas that kind of interesting in the market is looking at regional banks. If you take a look at the regional bank shares, as an example, those have really been beaten up a lot. Of course, you know, certainly makes sense. Lots of concern about who the next you know kind of uh, shoe to fall here, which which is going to be the next bank that goes under. So it's a bit risky, you know, going out there to buy some of these banks, but, you know, looking at companies, you know, like Truist and others that, you know, are fairly well run banks, you know, there's some really potential upside here now in some of these regional banks once we got kind of get past this, you know, kind of fallout. But again, you know, you got to be careful here. Um, you know, very speculative in nature because you know, you don't know which is the bank, which bank is going to fail next or if there's going to be one, right? So, you know, these banks may recover a bit, but if another bank fails, they're going to go right back down to where they were because of uncertainty, right? That's where we are. And look, the Fed is still hiking rates. A lot of those rate hikes that the Fed has already done have not come into the system yet. There's going to be more weight on these banks in a lot of cases. Uh, about higher interest rates and slower economic growth and these type of things that will affect their balance sheet so again we're not we're definitely not out of the woods yet but this is those this is one of those times where you have an opportunity to buy some fairly cheap assets there's risk to it but there's an opportunity here that we'll look back at at some point in the future and go yeah that was a good buying opportunity but Again, I wouldn't rush into it right now, but something to at least start keeping a watch on potentially as we go forward. Okay, Uh, but back to the overall markets. Again, you know, when we take a look at the overall market, there's, you know, clearly patterns are developing. We have a very nice defined, you know, kind of a wedge pattern developing here in the markets. Uh, Again, a move above the 50-day moving average, which is that initial resistance, and we tested that yesterday morning and failed at it. Um, We're still holding up at the 20-day moving average here, but a break above that downtrend line from those kind of February highs will certainly give the market some lift here. And again, we've kind of identified two areas as initial kind of targets for the markets. 4,100, which is going to be kind of that bottom of that basing period that we had back in early February. As the market was beginning to top there, we kind of put in some nice bottoms during that kind of consolidation process before the market broke down uh, in mid-February and going into March. Then, of course, the top of that is right below 4,200, which was that that peak of the market uh, in February. So, really, we have two pretty defined uh, zones for this rally. If the markets can get above, again, kind of this 50-day moving average, that's going to be the first hurdle, get a move above that. We've got a move of about 100, 150 points in the S&P to the upside. Again. We're still in the seasonally strong period of time right now. Uh, April and May tend to be a little bit seasonally stronger months. As we start getting into summer, though, that's where the risk is going to start to show up for the markets overall. Again, these continued rate hikes that, that are in the system but have not really impacted the economy yet, that is starting to gain some traction here. Now, the Federal Reserve, of course, still focused on hiking rates. We've got another meeting coming up in five more weeks now and we'll hear about their next rate hike talking about maybe one more here is what the markets are hoping for just one more rate hike but again when you take a look at the economic data and more importantly the inflation data jerome powell was pretty clear last week in the fomc meeting that inflation still remains their primary goal inflation is not coming down as fast as they want it to the economy remains very strong in terms of employment that's helping keeping wages elevated that's also adding to those inflationary pressures. So again, this whole kind of idea by, the, by, the, you know, by Wall Street that the Fed's going to pivot here pretty quickly, that's really not what the Fed is saying. Uh, the other side of this, of course, is tighter lending conditions. As we talked about yesterday, you know, this whole problem with the banking sector is that's going to make banks a lot more cautious about making loans, right? As, you know, you're, as they're watching their fellow compatriots in trouble, They're also looking at their balance sheet going, hey, you know what, let's be careful about making loans and who we make loans to. That's going to tighten lending standards. That's going to slow economic growth because, again, that extracts capital from the economy. So there's a lot of things coming up this summer that would certainly suggest, and this is what what Jerome Powell referred to, is that tighter lending standards act as, further rate hikes so on top of rate hikes you have tighter lending standards which are also de facto rate hikes slowing economic growth so again once we got to get out of this little rally period again we've got this little you know we've got decent buy signals here we've got you know things that are turning up here technically suggest that we could get a little move higher in prices here short term but that's a short-term trade so make sure and take some profits out of this rebalance risk if we do start to move up to these levels Uh, And because as we get into summer, a lot of the slowness is going to start to show up. And again, earnings estimates have been ratcheting up. We've been seeing analysts taking estimates up thinking, hey, we're going to avoid recession. We could, but it's doubtful that we're going to get much stronger earnings growth in a slower economic environment. So there we go. It's all like chocolate chip ice cream. Big pile of stuff. So anyway. Be right back after the break. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com
2: Long-term care may sound like a bore, but if you neglect it, you'll pay even more. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for our next Candid Coffee. Don't be foolish about long-term care. Saturday, April 1st. You may think you're prepared for long-term care, but you may be fooling yourself. Learn how to plan to protect yourself and your loved ones. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Saturday, April 1st, realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.17 as we get uh, things underway. Interesting uh, article this morning on CNBC. Talking about Elon Musk over at Twitter, and he is now. So a couple of things have happened since he's taken over. Remember that you know previously, when it was run by the Twitter Roddy, um, you could only get a blue check mark, which was what was called verified, right? If and, and so if you have a Twitter account, if you're not familiar with Twitter, uh, you have a you have your account at Twitter and you could get this blue check mark that would verify that you're a real person, right? Well, the problem was is that you could only be verified if you were really kind of on the left-hand side of the of the political spectrum. And you know, if you weren't, it was very difficult, if impossible, to get a blue check mark. And the reason for the blue check mark was is that th- this is what would show up in your feeds and those type of things. So when Elon Musk took over, he said, "Okay, if you want the blue check mark, it's going to cost you eight dollars a month. And if you use pronouns of them and there, then it was going to cost you sixteen dollars a month because it was multiple people." Uh, this was according to Elon Musk. Now, the interesting thing is that now he's revising this again and saying, "Well, if you don't pay the eight dollars for the verified mark, we're now not going to share your post." other people and you can't participate in polls and so i put out a tweet a tweet look i'm not paying eight dollars a month for a blue check mark (laughs) you know how how many clients have we gotten from twitter zero i've got seventy thousand followers we have no (laughs) clients coming from twitter uh so you know making an eight dollar a month investment makes no sense whatsoever and, but I put out on, on Twitter this morning, I said, "Look, if you want to keep getting our tweets that we post out this morning, you're going to have to follow me because I'm not paying eight dollars a month, because over 30 years of investing eight dollars a month, that's 12,000 dollars towards my retirement. And you know, eight dollars a month, and this, this really kind of goes into financial planning 101, right? And, and you know what we don't think about in terms of wealth building and, and look, you know, there's we go through these, you know, conversations where the younger generation is complaining about the fact that, you know, they haven't been able to accumulate the wealth that, you know, boomers have, et cetera, at the same point in life. Right. Um, you know, when boomers were their age, they had more wealth than what millennials have today. You know, this so goes the argument. Right. Lots of differences, though. Right? When, when, when I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones. And particularly, we didn't have $2,000 cell phones that we were paying for on a monthly basis, plus the service to support the cell phone at another 30 or 40 bucks a month, whatever it is. And this all adds up. You know, when you start, and, and again, you know, using this very basic example of $8 a month being $12,000 on a compounded basis for retirement if you start thinking about how much money that you kind of waste on things on a regular basis, and look, we all make excuses, oh, well, I've got to have you know, the latest and greatest Apple iPhone because I need it for work, right? We can all make up excuses of why we need things, but do we need them or do we want them? And that's, the, that's always the big question. And so if you start thinking about how much you spend money on, on things, and again, this is, this is personal preference, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a $2,000 fund or a $1,000 a month car note, whatever it is. But if you start thinking about how much money that you spend on things that you want versus things that you need, and then you start to compound that out over time into your future wealth and what that would be for you, you know, this starts to put things into perspective. You know, $5 a day for a cup of coffee at Starbucks, 60 bucks a week. Oh, sorry, that's not right. 25 bucks a week, $100 a month, you know, $1,200 a year. Compound that out. It starts to add up, right? It, it, it makes a big difference to where you wind up. And so when you start thinking about the millennials today, the, the Gen Zers today, and what they're spending money on, and you know they're complaining about the fact that you know they can't afford these other things in life and you know we talk about minimum wage right these minimum wage jobs that about 3 million people have in the country and they need a living they need a living wage they need a wage that will allow them to maintain a living standard well you know first problem is, is if you're working a minimum wage job your entire life there's the problem right if you're not if you're not advancing in life there's a problem that is not part of the employment situation that's the first thing to to look at second thing is though is that what is that living standard is a living standard now a twenty five hundred dollar a month you know apartment a thousand dollar car note and a two thousand dollar phone is that the living standard is and and you know what have we You know, put into the economy as a base that says, "Okay, this is this is a requirement. You've got to have this in order to have a basic living standard." And again, when we look at that basic living standard, is it a function of what do we want versus what? Well, everybody else has a two thousand dollar iPhone. Why can't I have a two thousand dollar? I don't have a two thousand dollar iPhone, by the way. But these are the things that you know, impair us from reaching our goals. And yeah, you and, know, and look, the easy thing to always do and we, and we do this on every front. We, you know, we want to blame the system, we want to blame other people, we want to blame our environment, whatever it is. It's not my fault that I'm in this situation. It's Wall Street's fault, it's the government's fault, it's my neighbor's fault, it's my cat's fault, whatever it is. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never my fault for why I'm in this situation. But building wealth is not complicated. And it's interesting right now, too, because if you take a look at, at the environment that we have currently, and look, this, this current environment that we live in right now is not going to last. But right now, for the first time since 2008, you could actually put money in a savings account and make a return on, on, on your savings. You know, there used to be a time back in the 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s, that you could save, you could literally save your way to retirement. You could put money into a savings account, you know, just go to work, earn your paycheck, stick money into a savings account, and you generated enough rate of return on that for that to grow for your retirement. You could literally save your way to retirement. You know, after 2008, that was impossible. Because the Fed had dropped rates to zero, we were doing everything we could to suppress interest rates, and we were forcing people to take on increasing levels of risk with their savings in the market. So we were forcing trillions of dollars of savings into the financial markets because that's what the Fed needed to have happen. That that boosted confidence, and that was supposed to help spur economic growth, although it never, never did really work that way. But now for the first time, and again, this isn't going to last, but right now you don't have to take equity risk, right? I can just stick money into savings and unless it's at a bank because banks aren't paying you any money. But, (laughs) you know, you can put money into a money market account and make four, four, four and a half percent. You know, CDs are running for 4.3% right now. So you can put some money away and generate a return on that, or you can spend $8 a month on a blue mark or $5 a day on a cup of coffee or $2,000 iPhone that yields nothing and actually costs you money. But, you know, this is, you know, part of the problem, and this is something that, you know, started in the 80s under Reagan when President Reagan deregulated the financial industry. It was kind of hailed as a, as, a, as a move. This was going to make things more accessible to everyone. That's great, right? Everybody could get a credit card <laughs> as an example. And we've now had, since the 80s, a massive surge in household credit card debt. I remember when I first met Brent. This was back in early 2000. Um, Brent was working at this other radio station. Is a little business talk radio station, and I was driving in one morning. This is right during the, the, the start of the dot-com crisis, right? So the dot-com crash is coming, and I'm, I'm running ads on his radio station, you know, for my financial business. And there's a whole long story behind this, but there was, there was a guy in the afternoons just bashing financial advisors while he was eating a sandwich on the air. And, and, you know, saying, you know, just buy ETFs. If you, if you have an advisor, just buy ETFs, right? And so I was, you know, talking to Brent. I said, Brent, you know, look, I can do this job for right now until you can find somebody else. And, and he didn't hire me, right? So he, he went and got these other two ladies to come and, you know, basically talk 401k financial planning at 4 o'clock in the afternoon while markets are crashing. Finally, he, he acquiesced and stuck me on the air. Biggest mistake of his life. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the point of the story is I'm driving in one morning and I'm listening to this radio station and there's an ad from Wells Fargo. And the ad from Wells Fargo is, is why wait to take your children to Disney? Come get a credit card from us and take them today. That was the, that was the, that wasn't the exact commercial, but that was the gist of it. But the, but this is the point of, you know, building wealth, right? Instead of delayed gratification, we've got to have it now. And so we put ourselves into debt to get there, but we don't think about the financial consequences of this long-term. Sure. $8 a month for a blue check mark. Doesn't sound like much, right? I get no business from it. So making the investment of $8 a month makes no sense to me. Maybe it's good for my ego. I mean, I was on Fox Business the other day with Charles Payne's like, why don't you have a blue check mark? I was like, because I'm not paying $8 a month for it. That's why. <laughs> you know, maybe it's an ego thing to have a blue check mark, maybe. But for me, it's about whether or not it derives a benefit. Whenever I spend money, I go, what's the benefit of doing this? Do I have vices in life that I spend money on? Yes, right? I try to keep those to a minimum. But. Anyway, we'll be right back after the break. Don't go away.
0: The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at RealInvestmentAdvice.com.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. brit and I were just reminiscing off air here about when we first met back at the radio station and I remember the first day I walked in. He's like, "Okay, fine." Finally, I beat him down to the point that he's like, "Okay, fine." You know, come down. We'll we'll let you try to do a show. And you, you know, Brent's training. He Brent is, of course, if you don't know who Brent Clanton is, he's in the Texas Radio Hall of Fame. He is a a mass, just a, a massive wealth when it comes to radio production and radio commentary and everything else. Just a just brilliant talent. Of a and a great human being on top of it, so it's really the perfect combination.
2: Your check cleared, didn't
1: it? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. uh, so the uh, but no, I walked in the first day, and again, you know, so you know, doing radio, I figured there's gonna be a good bit of training to this. No, Brett walks in, says, There's the mic, there's a producer, good luck, (laughs) and we'll see how it goes. And (laughs) who'd you have, Chris? Yeah, Chris Chris was the producer, Chris was the producer, and he's a master as well. (laughs) He is, he is very, very good, um, but that's how it all started and it was terrible for like the first week it was awful <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out how to do radio so anyway but we got through it we got through it so anyway so here we are today <laughs> 20 23 23 years, years later 23 years later yeah. yeah yeah and so long way around to get back to where you started the
2: funniest thing that chris would do to you <laughs> yes. do you know where i'm going with this i know
1: where you're going with this
2: Lance would say physical instead of physical. That's right. And Chris cured you of that. <laughs> he did. By playing Olivia Newton-John, let's get physical. <laughs>
1: exactly Every time right. you said that. <laughs> that and then uh, I, had another, I had another glitch. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but every time I would say a certain word, and I can't remember. I can't remember. It was a filler word. It was. Yeah. It, we we all do this. Um, we say um or you know or like those type of things. And, and those are just filler words when we're trying to start the next thought process. And he would ring a bell. <laughs> so right in the middle, of show you ding, <laughs> ding. <laughs> it worked. It did work. It, it, but but you always, But the problem is is that you replaced one filler word with another. So. <laughs> But that's part and parcel of this. Anyway, um, see, there you go. Filler word. Um, shifting gears back to where we are. One of the big, you know, there's, there's a, a very interesting problem that's showing up in the financial markets right now between what markets are doing versus what you think they should be doing. And this is going to be one of the challenges for investors this year. And I wish I had an answer for you because I don't. But the thing that as investment as investors and as investment professionals and everything else in between we have to navigate what the market is doing as much as we have to anticipate things that are going to occur. The problem is, the more that we anticipate something to happen, the less likely it will happen. Last year, everybody was expecting a recession. It was a foregone conclusion. And, in fact, the number of people talking about a recession on air and everything else was just reaching peak volumes. Searches on Google for recession off the charts. And as we said back then, the markets price that stuff in. If everybody thinks something is going to happen, the market begins to price that in. And the market priced that in by October of last year, and the markets have been rallying ever since October. Not strongly, mind you, but we formed a bottom in October and have been rallying ever since. Now, that doesn't forego the potential that we could retest those lows at some point. I'm not saying that. But as we discuss about this, and again, it's not just me, it's, you know, On CNBC right now, headline on CNBC right now, recession risk for 2023, the Fed's rate hike path. Everybody's talking about this. Economic risk, risk of recession, the Fed's hiking rates, we've got this banking crisis that's going on, everything else. So obviously, why on earth would you want to be invested in equities? But yet equities are doing okay this year. You know, last year, everybody's like, oh, got to be in energy because energy is going to be, you know, it's going to $300 a barrel in oil. Remember those conversations last year? Year before that, nobody wanted to be long energy stocks because energy was going to zero because we were all going to be electric, right? This year, energy is the worst performing sector, only followed by financials because of the banking crisis and technology and communications, which were last year's worst performers because, well, the market's going to crash, are this year's best performers by a wide margin, How do you how do you make heads or tails of that? I mean, obviously we're going into recession. Obviously, with interest rates higher, this is this is you know we're we we're, we're going to have this problem. You know, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank was only the first bank crisis, so obviously there's going to be more of those. In fact, we're going to have an entire financial crash right now, and that means I need to get out of the dollar as fast as possible and, and put money somewhere else because the dollar is going to crash and go to zero. Yet none of this stuff happens. Now I'm not saying it won't happen. Those, those predictions could all be correct. I'm not arguing with you as to whether they're right or wrong. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is, is that markets price these things in, and the more that we talk about them, the more that we expect them, the more we price them in.'ll Give you an example. You look. You open your refrigerator and you pull something out of your refrigerator and it says the expiration date was like three weeks ago. Now, I know you've all done this. You eat it anyway. My daughter is a good example of this. If the milk is one day past the expiration date, she will not drink it. Now, the expiration date's a safety margin, right? Drink by this date. Eat by this date. Now, look, the food doesn't go bad the next day. Right? It's just that's a safety margin. It says, look, once you start to get past this date, you're starting to increase your risk a bit here. (laughs) Give it the sniff test. If it still smells okay, it's probably okay. But, you know, you've always drank milk a week past the expiration date without sniffing it. You've always done that in the past, right? And then the one time that you don't sniff it, you drink bad milk, right? After that, what do you do? You drink bad, you, you smell the milk every time, whether it's past the expiration date or not. You drink sour milk once. That, will, that, is, the lesson, that is the only lesson you will ever need to learn in life. So what happens, though, is, is that once you drink that bad milk once, right, you build a psychological issue around that to where you smell milk every time before you drink it. We, we build a behavior around that bad experience. Well, see, we have this bad experience back in 2008. And so now we consistently expect that whatever bad happens next is going to be as bad as it was as the spoiled milk back in 2008. 2020 is a good example of this. In March 2020... The market fell by 35% in a month. It was then expected that this economic shutdown, and look, I was in this camp as well. How could markets rally when you have this economic shutdown going on? People are laid off work and mass. You have a 30% decline in economic growth. How on earth could markets rally? By June, we're adding, we're late. But we're adding exposure back to markets because it makes no sense. But the markets are rallying strongly. Well, it made plenty of sense. We just injected $5 trillion into the economy. We're doing $120 billion in QE every month. But even with that, it didn't, didn't make sense, right? But we brought all this speculative behavior back into the markets. Everybody, you know, everybody was expecting this major fallout and being having no weight in the markets, you know, in April was a bad call last year, everybody was expecting a market to decline by 30, 40, 50 percent. We were down 20, but given what was going on with markets and economies and fed hiking rates, everything else, it should have been worse, but it wasn't. But see, we all have this psychological bias now, based on the spoiled milk of 2008, that every single downturn is going to be this way, and it's going to be this bad, and yet markets are remaining more resilient. And the reason is, is that markets, because we all have this negative bias, because there's so much of this negative bias in the market, the market is is pricing these things in. So this is one of the reasons why it doesn't make sense i get it why markets are holding up so well and and markets are doing fine this year despite the fact of all this other stuff going on. i mean we just had a banking crisis and markets are doing okay we've got bicycles it's because markets are pricing these things in all right be right back after the break
0: daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: And hey, welcome back to the show this morning. So just uh, get ready to wrap things up. Futures are, eh, Flatish this morning. S&P's up about one. Dow's up about thirty. Nasdaq's down. It's flat. It's down about four right now. So again, just kind of uh, kind of a flat day. Yields are up a smidge this morning to about three point five percent. Not surprising. Bonds got a little bit overbought here short term after that kind of fairly sharp drop around the the banking issues that we saw over the last couple of weeks. So again, now just you know to this point where markets are kind of digesting all of this information. We still have inflation, right? And inflation drives the long end of the curve in terms of yields. Yields should be higher because of inflation. But other issues are keeping those yields down, safety more than anything else. A lot of investors right now buying treasuries. We've had a lot of inflows into treasuries um, to capture the yield. Makes complete sense, right? You can buy a two-year treasury at you know, 4 4.5%. Four Why not? right? That's easy money. So, you know, but this is, and again, just kind of uh, wrapping up on our, you know, kind of the last segment talking about how markets are pricing a lot of this stuff in, you know, as investors, we need to navigate what it, you know, what is going on in the markets and understanding that markets can do something entirely different than logic, right? Markets are not logical, hardly ever. (laughs) So, you know, they, they tend to price things in. And, and remember, the market is kind of this collective wisdom of all the participants. And for every buyer, there has to be a seller. And every buyer thinks they're smart and every seller thinks they're smart. Well, somebody's got to be wrong. But markets are driven by this kind of herd mentality of, of this living organism of buyers and sellers and things that are happening in the markets and people betting capital – on where they think certain outcomes are going to be. And so this is this is our this makes investing challenging to a large degree. How do we navigate this psychological obvious psychological issue, right? I mean, obviously we're going to have a recession, obviously we're going to have more banking issues, obviously the economy is going to slow down sharply. Obviously, you know these all these things are going to happen, right? There, it's it's obvious, clear as the nose in your face. And then there's a the risk of what if, right? What if we don't have a recession? I'm not saying I'm not saying we're going to have a recession or not. I don't know. Seems logical that we would, but could we could we potentially navigate this market to a point that we don't have a recession? For one reason or the other. Maybe. markets could be wrong, right? Markets are you know Goldman Sachs says no recession. economy uh, economy's going to slow down, but we won't have a recession. At that point, we'll see. right? If we have a recession, markets really aren't priced for a recession, right? Markets are priced, and I, and I said this the other day. I was I was doing a an interview with Adam Taggart over at Wealthion, and, and you know I said, look, if you're going to buy gold, right? A lot of people right now say, I want to buy precious metals. Okay, great. If you want to buy precious metals, the only thing that matters is real interest rates. Whichever direction real interest rates are going, precious metals are going to follow. So just if you if you just understand where real interest rates, that's inflation-adjusted interest rates, if you understand where those rates are going, that tells you whether or not you should own precious metals. The stock market is all about forward earnings. If forward earnings are rising, the market will rise. And right now, forward earnings are rising, by the way, estimates. And that's why markets are trying to adjust higher because – Analysts right now expect earnings to recover going into 2024. So, right now, analysts say that the bottom or the trough in the earnings decline was in the first quarter of this year. And now, starting in the second quarter, they will flatline and then begin to increase in the third, fourth, first, second, third, fourth quarter of next year. So, if earnings are rising, then Asset prices will rise to accommodate for higher earnings. We, we basically buy stocks on the expectation of higher future cash flows. If interest rates are declining and if the Fed is dropping rates, now one of the things that is the market is predicting right now is that the Fed will cut interest rates by 110 basis points by the end of this year. It's a lot. But that lowers the discount rate for stocks, right? So the lower interest rates go, my discount rate drops, and that makes the value of future cash flows higher, which argues for higher asset prices. I know this seems a little bit complicated, but this is how the world works. Here's the point about this. If expectations are right that earnings are going to rise, then stocks are going to rise ultimately. If... They're wrong. And if the economy does slow down more than expected, since earnings are derived from economic growth, then earnings will slow. And if that's the case, then prices have to adjust lower for slower earnings. And that comes back to valuations. So the thing that we have to get right In our portfolios, both short-term and long-term, is the direction of earnings. Now, we can make all of the expectations that we want. Here's a good example of how expectations were wrong. In 2020, we shut down the economy. Well, earnings are going to drop, right? I mean, obviously, because nobody's buying anything. We shut down the economy. And then we inject $5 trillion worth of liquidity into the markets. We have people buying power and we have this massive surge in the economy. So earnings recover. But but earnings don't just recover to where economic activity is going. They surge through the roof and particularly corporate profit margins because of inflation so now we've laid off workers so our cost of every good sold is now cheaper because we have less workers i now have inflation so my pricing power goes up so all of a sudden i have this massive surge in corporate profits but this is going to be one of the challenges that happens going forward as well is that as we start looking at corporate profit margins inflation is now falling we now are back to full employment So those margins have to shrink. So if I have earnings that are growing, but I have less profit margin, that's going to also hamper the future value of those cash flows as well. So, see, we've got to factor in this multifaceted dynamic of where the economy is going to be over the next 12 to 18 months, right? And this is why it's complicated. And this is why it's hard. And this is why investing is hard. And it's hard to, and particularly when we're in these periods of flux where things aren't clear. We've got a slowing economic environment. That means earnings are going to be lower and the profits are, profit margins have to come down because inflation is declining. Um, we have all these competing ideas. And so the point about this is being convicted. I'm writing, I've, I've, I've been writing this article called Conviction. And I keep, pushing it out for publication because other things keep happening that are more important, like banking crises and stuff like that. But I'm writing this article called Conviction talking specifically about this, the problem with being convicted to an idea. I think the economy is going into recession and I don't want to be in the U S dollar for a B or C reasons. And and I believe that's the way this is going to turn out. And I'm convicted to that idea and so we make our bets in that direction. You know, we're short stocks, we're long international, whatever. And then things don't work out that way. You know, one of the conviction calls early this year was small cap stocks. Small caps are going to outperform everything else. And starting out the beginning of the year, that was definitely the case. Stocks, small cap stocks were killing it coming out of the gate this year. And then this little thing called a banking crisis showed up, and now small-cap stocks are underperforming, large-cap stocks. Small-caps are very economically sensitive. So if you think that the economy is going to slow down, you don't want to be in small-cap stocks. There's a very high correlation between the National Federation of Independent Business Confidence Index, the view on the economy by small businesses, There's a very high correlation between that index and small cap stocks for obvious reasons because they are very economically sensitive. So if your bet is the economy is going to slow down, you don't want to be in small cap stocks, particularly right now. So as investors, what we have to do is, is yes, we need to be aware of all these risks but we also have to and as mike and i have talked about repeatedly on the show here we have to we have to be audible right we've got to be able to make the audible call that despite what our broader view is we have to make short-term shifts to our strategy in order to navigate markets we know what our destination is right Doesn't mean we have to take a straight line to get there either. All right. Hope that helps. I know it's all confusing. Markets right now, futures are improving. Everything's green across the board now. NASDAQ is now up to going to be a flat open this morning. We'll see how markets uh, play it out for the day. We'll report back to you tomorrow. Of course, Danny Ratliff joining me as well. So have a great day. Stick around. Get by our YouTube channel, of course. Make sure you're subscribed. Click that little bell icon as well. That certainly helps us out. And make sure you're subscribed to our Before the Bell channel. We'll have that out for you here just in a few minutes. Give you our Before the Bell market update as we do every day right here at realinvestmentadvice.com. Latest blog post is out as well. 4,200 on the S&P. How do we get there? It's in today's blog. See you tomorrow.